Good morning. My name is Chris O'Rear, if you don't know me. Um, and for the last uh, six, almost six years, I have been the owner and director of the Counseling Center inside Bellmead United Methodist Church. Um, we are not a ministry of the church, but we are a ministry in the church that has been welcomed by the staff and by the congregation. Um, and I feel blessed to work among your staff people who take care of the whole person seriously. Um, I am a licensed clinical pastoral therapist in the state of Tennessee, which means I was trained as a clergy person with theological education, but I also did training in counseling. And uh, so the counseling that we do is what I say from a pastoral perspective, which means I'm not trying to make anybody look like me, think like me, or believe like me, but walk along people on the path as they discover where they're going. Um, and so I'm grateful for the opportunity to be there on a weekly basis. I tell people I have the best ministry job ever because I get invited to all of the staff parties, but I don't have to go to any of the staff meetings. It is great. Um, I am honored to be invited to be here today. Although the occasion is sad, um, Sam and Mark are in Texas. There was a memorial service for Mark's mother yesterday. So we continue to lift up their family in prayer for God's peace and comfort for them. Sam had intended to begin a series on the Beatitudes today, and I was happy to step in and help with that. Uh, the Beatitudes are a section of what we call the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. And Beatitude simply means supremely blessed. The Greek word that we translate blessed or blessed can simply mean blessed, but it can also mean fortunate or happy. So if we read these sayings of Jesus in, a, in this manner, many of them seem to make little sense when we take them literally. For example, today we will look at the beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In the parallel text in Luke, this is blessed are those who weep now, for they will laugh. We know that from our own experience of pain and loss, that our feelings of grief and sadness are sometimes so great that we cannot find comfort. So it seems nonsensical to say that those who weep will laugh, and for this reason, these sayings of Jesus have been interpreted and reinterpreted in order to discern the intended meaning and to try to make some sense of this that doesn't make any sense. Scholars have tried to interpret these sayings as encouragements, directives. They've looked at it as symbolic language and other ways. And most of these interpretations seem to be valid in a particular context and, and uh, communicate well. However, I want to offer some reflections today on blessed are those who mourn from a counseling perspective, more specifically, my pastoral counseling perspective. My friend, Dr. Bruce Vaughn, describes what he calls the dialectic of grief. His concept of the dialectic can simply be stated that at the moment that we are connected with a memory of someone or something that we have lost, we simultaneously feel the great joy of having been with that person and the deep sadness and the awareness that they're no longer with us. 
I was here a couple of years ago in December, and I got to wear these robes, and I told you about them at that time, but for those who may not have heard that story or if you slept since then, I'll remind you. Uh, my dad, in his retirement years, uh, was a lay pastor in the Methodist Church. He had a two-point charge in Dixon, and uh, he had these robes that he wore for weddings and other special occasions. I don't know that he wore them on Sundays, but... Um, my dad died of COVID in July of 2020, so three years ago this month. And I inherited his robes. So, whenever I have a chance to wear his robes, I am reminded of the good things about him and the good memories that I have with him, but I'm also simultaneously reminded that I no longer have my dad with me. That is the dialectic of grief. I've heard it said that grief is simply learning to love in the absence of those we have lost. And this seems true and beautiful to me, that grief is simply learning to love in the absence of the one that we've lost. However, many Bible scholars who have written their interpretations of this passage from Matthew say that Jesus is perhaps not talking about those who are grieving a loss. They say, blessed are those who mourn is perhaps for those who are grieving the world as it is in its current state, as we recognize how far away from God's ideal we are. As we look around us, even in this past week, we see many things to grieve. As we continue to see those who struggle economically, those who will go to bed tonight without sufficient food or a decent place to sleep. We grieve when we continue to see mistreatment of people in our country simply because of the color of their skin. We should grieve when we see the division and the lack of love in our political system, when people are seen only as their political party and not as a human being, and our leaders are more concerned about maintaining their own power than caring for those who are the most vulnerable in our society. There is a sadness we should feel when any person is viewed and categorized only by one aspect of themselves, and by knowing that one aspect, we think we know everything we need to know about them, and then they are treated as less than a child of God because of that one thing. There is a sadness when we do not see the humanity in those that we think of as the other. You and I could add many things to this list of things to grieve because there are so many things in this world that does not reflect the kingdom of God as we read about it in Scripture. How odd that Jesus says we're blessed. The same Bible scholars who suggest that the grieving Jesus is talking about is about how much our current world misses the mark would also suggest that Jesus' blessing and promise of comfort is a promise for the future, leaving us with our grief regarding the world as it is now. We know that our faith and our tradition certainly hold a belief that God will someday bring order to the world and that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We read in Revelation 21.4 that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. 
This is clearly indicating that the comfort promised will definitely come at some point in the future. However, I think there is a way to think about these teachings of Jesus that has to do with how we live our lives now until that unknown time in the future. Mourning is not something that we like to do, but mourning comes to us about a number of things in our lives. We certainly mourn the loss of a person that we have lost to death. Just this week, I heard a story of a friend whose spouse died. I heard the story of a three-year-old who died of cancer. I heard that story because my youngest daughter was the nurse who helped care for that child and went to her funeral yesterday. If you've not lost someone close to you in death and known that grief, you will. We cannot avoid it. However, we also experience loss in other ways. We might also mourn the loss of a relationship, a job, a house, a pet, a dream, or any other thing that we can lose. Back in 2010, we had the big flood here in Nashville, and while many people lost stuff to the flood, we had a mudslide at our house that did significant damage to our home, and ultimately, we lost our home. Um, but that was the same year that my oldest graduated from high school and went to college. And I realized the tangible loss of the house was something that people could understand. But the loss of a time of life, a loss of a phase of life, is more of an intangible loss. But it's a loss nonetheless. Most of us experienced some form of grief during the COVID pandemic. We were forced to change our plans for gatherings with friends and family in order to keep ourselves and others safe. Our lives may not have gone as we imagined that they would, and that loss of how we expected things to be is a form of mourning. Mourning the loss of anything or anyone is emotional, and the more connected we are to that person thing or idea, the deeper the sadness that we experience. If we are deeply connected to another person, the grief we feel can truly feel like our heart is aching. We can feel as if we have lost a piece of ourselves. The depth of sadness can be so big that we feel we cannot bear it. We may fear overwhelming our friends with our sadness, or we may feel that if we allow ourselves to feel the full extent of our own feelings, that we ourselves will be overwhelmed. For this reason, some people often try to avoid the feelings of grief. Some try to distract themselves with extra work or mindless activities, or they may try to numb themselves with alcohol or other drugs. Others may adopt a false attitude of positivity, believing that being strong is, by not showing emotion, they are being strong. Some people believe that being a good Christian means not feeling sad. And unfortunately, our culture has reinforced this cowboy image, especially for men, that sees sadness and tears as weakness and rewards emotional stoicism. However, grief is hard, and grief is painful, and grief cannot be avoided without complications. 
When Jesus announces a blessing for those who mourn, perhaps he is saying that there is truly a blessing in allowing ourselves to grieve and mourn, and that we don't receive that blessing if we try to avoid mourning. Blessed are those that can let themselves feel the depth of their sadness. Blessed are those who acknowledge their feelings and let themselves cry. Blessed are those who make space in their lives to recognize losses and identify the grief that follows. And even as I'm saying these words, I can hear some of you thinking, but Chris, crying never solved anything. Crying does not fix a problem. And I would partially agree with you. Crying and feeling sad does not bring back what is lost. That is true. But it does honor the deep love we have for that which has been lost. And it honors the deep connection with that which has been lost. Our expression of grief does not change the present situation, but it honors the significance of the past. If we do not allow ourselves to openly grieve, if we try to avoid grief or deny grief, our grief will catch up with us. Unexpressed grief can ferment into depression. Grief that is not recognized can fester into resentment. Unexpressed grief can grow up to become anger. Uh, we deny ourselves the opportunity for full living if we do not express our grief, and grief that is not expressed can be compounded and become more intense with subsequent losses. So this made me think, um, I told you that my dad died in 2020, but I lost my mom in October of last year to cancer. So this year was the year of all the firsts, you know, and May we would have celebrated my mom's birthday and Mother's Day and my father's birthday all within a five-day period. That week of May was rough, but I wasn't really letting myself deal with that a lot. My relationship with my mother was complicated, so my grief for my mother has also been complicated. So I kept thinking, it's not really that important. But my siblings wanted to go to dinner on my mother's birthday at one of her favorite restaurants, and I agreed to go, and we went and had dinner, and I spent time with them, and we remembered my mom. And on the way home, I got in the car, and I made a comment of concern for the person, uh, my mom's partner. We'll call him my stepdad. It's just more convenient that way. So I expressed some concern about my stepdad's health. And I said I was worried about something in particular. And my wife, who has medical knowledge, corrected what I said with just a little tweak. And instead of going, oh, yeah, you're right, I was like, why are you making such a big deal out of that? And I got more angry that we were having this conversation. I'm blessed that after 35 years, almost 36 years of marriage, we can talk about things. So we talked it out, and my wife said to me, I think that you have more feelings about this week than you've been aware. Hey, why am I paying a therapist? This is great. So she was so in tune, so uh, astute. 
So I appreciated that insight because I could realize that I did have many feelings, but they came out in anger and irritability and not as sadness. Grieving is not always straightforward, and sometimes it's a challenge to navigate it. There's another way that grief is tied to living a life to its fullness, fullest. Some people consciously or unconsciously recognize that the deeper they are connected to another person, the bigger their feelings of grief and the deeper their sadness. Because of this, they may try to limit how close they allow themselves to get to others. They tend to keep people at arm's length, emotionally speaking. They tend to downplay the importance of other people and may treat relationships and others as if they are disposable and unimportant. Living life this way leads to shallow connections and subsequently deep loneliness. The resulting feelings lead to anger, depression, and resentment. And some people may wish to avoid the disappointment and grief that comes with when life is not going the way that they think it's supposed to go. And so some people will attempt to control situations or to control others to get the outcome that they desire. But a manipulated outcome is ultimately never satisfying. And attempts to control others regularly resent, results in resentment and frustration on the part of those who are being controlled. Again, the resulting feelings lead to anger, depression, and resentment. And this is not a life well-lived and a life of fullness or a life of abundance. So it seems paradoxical to say that grieving is part of an abundant life or that grief should be a part of the kingdom of God. But as we understand the nature of grief, it seems clear that it is. If we can grieve well, then we allow ourselves to get emotionally close to others. If we can grieve well, we allow depth in our relationships. We allow ourselves to be deeply known and intimately as we seek to know others in the same way. When we can acknowledge our grief about things not going as we thought they should, we become more accepting of life as it is, struggles and all. I want to be clear about something, however. Taking our feelings of grief and sadness seriously is not the opposite of hope. Grief and sadness are not things that we feel instead of hope. We can have hope for the future. We can, be, we can believe that God will be present in our future and still allow ourselves to feel our deep feelings of grief, sadness, and disappointment. Deep joy in life, fullness of life, is directly tied to our ability to recognize and express our grief. There's no way to avoid grief. We either actively deal with it or it will deal with us. So while it seems nonsensical at first, Jesus speaks wisdom to us. Blessed are those who can allow themselves to grieve and to feel their deep sadness. They will be comforted by the memory of those whom they have shared deep connection. They will be comforted by the deep and meaningful relationships in the future. They will avoid the discomfort of depression, resentment, and destructive anger. Those who can grieve well are truly blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen.